0: Network.com.
1: This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again, and listeners like you, thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links. Welcome to The Tome Book Club of January 2015. The Tomes is a DD and d news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley.
0: And I'm your co-host, Jeff Greiner. In each Book Club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, spoilers be damned, in full Book Club style. And our book this time around is the book that almost wasn't Fire in the Blood by Aaron M. Evans Or at least it almost wasn't for us
1: Right, Well, and part of that is this book came out in October uh, But because a few of us rely on audiobooks these days We waited for that to come out And waited, and waited And it finally came out in December, two days before Christmas So needless to say, there wasn't much of a chance to read the book uh, Or listen to it until January, and so here we are And we're glad we made it, and we have a massive cast of wonderful folks to discuss the book, including, as always, Eric M. Paquette. Hello. Along with Jeff Wynn. Hola. And Kristen Belmar. Hi. Uh,
0: So that's what we're doing this month. Next month in February of 2015, we will be starting a three-part series. We're going to read three non-D&D books in three months, one book per month, Tracy, Eric, and myself are going to each choose one book, and everyone else has to read it, whether they want to or not, at least of the three of us. Uh, The idea is to expand our horizons while we maintain our D&D fandom. Uh, February is Tracy's pick, and she's going to have us read Oath of Fealty by Elizabeth Moon, which she's spent the last 15 minutes telling us all about.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It should be a good time. But before we get into the episode, we should talk about our sponsor, Noble Knight. They are a great game store that specializes in finding the out-of-print. Our pick for this episode, however, is in print. It's the new fifth edition D and D DM screen, only recently out and available for twelve dollars over at Noble Knight. Check them out and tell them that the Tome Show sent you.
0: Hello. Hello, citizens.
2: Oh, thank
3: goodness, adventurers! We need a Noble Knight. Perhaps you can slay the beast of retail and reap the promises of riches. Riches? Yes! Great prices, out-of-print games,
2: the latest releases, and a magic box that converts all of your old loot
0: into cash or new loot. But why? Fantastic! I'll do it! Yes, well... You see, the beast he kidnapped the mayor and can only be slain by the most noble of knights. Yes, yes, yes. I said I'll do it. Well, yes, the thing is, I was talking to her. What?
1: Fear not, kind citizen. The noble knight will save the day, rescue the lord in distress, and liberate all that loot anyway, only possible at Noble Knight. If you'd like to get your hands on Noble Knight's loot, head over to thetomeshow.com and click on the link in the show notes for this episode.
0: And don't forget to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Ha, I got to do something to help out. All right, so now into the meat of the episode. It's time to talk about Fire in the Blood. For some of you, I think it's, uh, what, been a couple months since you read it? I've reread it recently, so... Excellent. I knew I could count on Eric Paquette.
3: And
2: I, I just got done listening to it for the second time.
0: Very good.
3: I'm halfway through the book for the second time. See, everybody's
0: better at this than me. Good job, guys.
3: <laughs> I guess like one of the first things we should say is it's, it's
2: I think a long book.
0: Yeah, for a uh, for a D novel, it was longer than, than what I'm used to.
2: It was it was twelve hours on uh, audiobook.
0: Yeah, and most most uh I think most D and D novels, when converted to audiobook, tend to run between seven and ten at most.
4: And the book itself for physical book is four hundred and sixty four pages. Yeah. So
1: yeah, and that was twelve hours at double speed, right?
0: No, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it
2: was it was twenty four yeah. hours at the regular speed. So yeah. you could do it. You
0: could do an all day fire in the blood marathon if you really wanted to. <laughs> so, so it is a long book, and it's got a lot going on. Did it feel like a long book? No,
3: mm, yeah. not really.
0: Lots of things happen,
4: and it, the, the the pace goes well of going tuning on for true through the storyline.
0: So, speaking of storyline, Eric, what is it? What's this book about? It is... Uh,
4: there's lots of stories going on in it. It's mostly about the relationships in, uh, between Bryn and Havilar and Bryn trying to run away from the crown that he doesn't want. <laughs> Annoyingly. mm mm-hmm. uh, while in the middle of the war that the war is happening in Cormier or around Cormier as Shade is preparing to go and attack um, there's also in there there's espionage as uh, Dahl and Faraday are trying to find uh, agents of Shar within the city mm-hmm. have been infiltrated Plus, there's the whole politics
0: happening in Hell, hmm. and, then, and in Hell and in that you have a, yeah. a, 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 a lot of politics going on. In fact, it only just now occurs to me that I wonder if there's not an intentional mirroring going on there.
3: Oh, there definitely is. They uh, a lot of political maneuvering is echoed either in the or either in Hell or Cormier just to highlight the difference and similarities in terms of what the maneuvering is like. Because you have at one point, you have Lady Crown Silver, mm-hmm. yes. who's uh, Brynn's aunt. And shortly after, you have a Glacia moment in terms of the Hells. Mm-hmm. So, and definitely there's a lot of this is how she deals with it, this is how she deals with it, and make your own conclusions. Mm-hmm.
0: I actually found Lady Crown Silver to be a little more mellow than she had been in previous books. Like she's never wow. been like a main character, but she's always. I, th- I thought felt like she was more fearsome in the past, and this time,
2: well, uh, th- th- this is the first time we've we've actually met
0: Holendra Crown Silver at this point. We've we've just heard Bryn talk about her. That's true. You're that, that's absolutely <laughs> right. Maybe she's always been relatively reasonable, but Bryn has been deathly afraid of her.
4: I, I didn't like Lady Crown Silver when she showed up and their comments and all that. I mean. As soon as when she mentions to uh, Faraday and Havillard to s- speak a civilized language when they're speaking together in Dragonborn, I was like, okay. <laughs> I didn't like that. Sure. That, uh, that I do. Which is basically, basically insane. I found there was a lot of conflict shown in the story about um, them being outsiders from the main... Suzelle where since they were pontif lanes and they were not of nobility and all that, you you really saw the conflict of of Cormier or Suzelle not being very mm-hmm. inclusive. And you really see that conflict show but in a good way of how yeah of presenting it.
1: Yeah, well there's a lot of uh conflict in that tries to highlight that the way maybe that's Suzelle and, like, Kormir is set up uh, is not necessarily the best way going forward. Like, the fact that the king dies and then gets brought back. Is it the king or the crown prince? The crown prince. The crown prince.
0: The crown prince at the time. Yeah, sorry.
1: Uh, he dies and he comes back, and it's like, well, uh, according to, to Kormirian law, he needs to be, like, exiled from the kingdom and a, a bunch of other stuff. He loses his spot in the...
2: Isn't there something about him being uh, castrated and it, it has to be be fed to a certain kind of animal? And
1: I wasn't gonna go into that detail, but, but yeah, no, right? And I did it and, for you. And it's like, um, like why? You know, because Cormier you? has
2: stupid laws. Right, there, exactly. There, there are no. many thousands of year old magical kingdom. I I, I assume it's yes. because there was some some hilarious incident in the past where some ob o- o- was was raised um, but yeah
3: why
1: why we have a person who obviously should uh be the next in line in succession but because she's a, a woman she's not going to be
2: Well, hmm. oh, there uh, Cormier has had six six queens mm-hmm. um I don't I don't think it's it's entirely be, because she's a woman but it it is definitely par- partially because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. Um can, can can I just say that that for me uh this this novel was about one thing and uh that is the ship that that I am going to dub Faridra. <laughs> I was I was I was all about the the uh budding uh uh friendship uh between uh Farida and Raedra, oh oh oh, barskir Farida got it on in this in this book. Can 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 we just talk talk about because that's more
0: ways than one.
1: So you're talking about the fact that she hooks up with both Lurkin and Dahl.
2: Yeah, I was I was happy for her. Like, way to go.
1: Yeah, and she also spends uh, a lot of time in fest halls because that's where they need to look for the uh, agents
2: of Sharn. Yeah. Now, Jeff, since you're the expert, what okay. what is oh a, oh
0: uh-oh. okay?
2: What is a fest hall in in Forgotten Realms context?
0: Oh, like, I don't know. I don't know that I would. Be, I don't know that I would be able to tell you that it's a something specific or different for. For, for, it's in it's clearly
2: not just a place where you go and have a fest, because like Farida is is like embarrassed to go there. Yeah,
0: so there were some implications in terms of how they were using or how uh, Evans was using the phrase here that I don't I don't think I've run into in previous realms books. So I don't think it's a realms thing so much as, as Evans was the author was making it something about um, Cormorian culture or whatever. So they were calling it a fest hall, um, and, and it. And I'm, I'm trying to remember back to three weeks ago when I listened to it. Um, I want to say that, that that there was almost an implication that there was a, uh, almost a strip club sort of vibe going on.
1: Some of them were definitely more like strip clubs and some of them were more like burlesque shows. Yeah. Uh, and it just depended. Like the, one of the scenes where they're talking about the I, – I don't know if it was one or two dancers in the silks. Uh, which is like aerial acrobatics mm-hmm. um, reminded me a lot of the Zumanity uh, burlesque show that's in Vegas where they, they Cirque, do
2: Cirque du Soleil. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. They do Cirque du Soleil, but it's more adult. Yeah. The thing is, is that halls are presented as um, more like brothels and or Hotels that you can rent by the hour, where you can either have someone with you, bring someone with you, have a show, a dinner. It's one of those. From what I described, that's what I got from it. It's the. It's a place where you go for a little titillation, more than just. Oh, I'm going out for a meal.
1: Yeah, and I also thought it was interesting the implication that because uh, Bryn was with Havilar, that there was now a. Um a trend going on in the festivals to have a
3: tiefling, tiefling, Yeah. Coin lasses, as they put it.
0: Yeah. Now that is a a commonly used, um, phrase, the coin lass.
2: Great. And, and it is, it is not sideways and it does not have, have teeth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah she really jumped into this into this book didn't she (laughs) i
2: I, you know what i i absolutely love uh the way aaron evans does banter of of any kind whether it's it's uh sexy banter or or argument uh banter or or, you know doll talking to himself Mm. uh (laughs) just like every like she she does dialogue really really well and and she does sarcasm and like it's just really clever
0: and I, like, I absolutely love this novel. Yeah. I, th- I did find it um, – so in the previous novel with these characters, they had just sort of done a big time jump. And there was a lot of sort of coming to terms with the fact that they are now in 20-something-year-old bodies, but they still had, sort of had teenage mentalities because that's, you know, that's the scope of their experiences. Um, it seemed to me like this novel, their mm. mental place caught up with their bodies. You know they're acting more like, or, or I don't know. Yeah, I guess they they feel like they're acting more mature. Uh, I I,
2: well. I think like this is probably the novel that Aaron Evans wanted to write. If if the sundering hadn't hadn't happened, like I think this is where she was she was going at the end of um, the Lesser second evil. novel. Lesser evils. Lesser evils. Lesser yeah. evils. Yes. Yeah, I could see that. I- because I mean, it, it 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 seemed like other than than mentioning the time jump a a time or two, like you could have entirely just ignored that facet of the
0: story if you really wanted to. Well, I mean, it it's a pretty crucial to the Bryn Havilar storyline. I suppose. Um, yeah. Because that's, I mean. In fact, I, that's one of my one of my thoughts as I was going through it, is that I felt like at the end, they sort of all the two of them come to terms with their relationship by saying, hey, let's just sort of start over. You know, and they do they do this sort of, um, I don't know, it's almost rom-com sit- sitcom sort of uh, thing where it's like, uh, you know, we're just going to pretend like we didn't, we've, we've never met before. Hi, I'm Bryn, you know, and, and, and start over from scratch th- that way. Um, but at the same time, like, I didn't, I almost didn't feel like that was necessary. Like, I felt like they had some things to work out, but I thought they were in a pretty decent place. Most of the book, or maybe they were just so busy that I didn't notice that, that, that there was still that weirdness.
3: Well, yeah. the thing I found with myself, with Havilar and Bryn's relationship was, and the way it progressed through the novel was more along the lines of, uh, coming to terms with, you can't really change your partner. Mm-hmm. Like, Uh, and the the way your partner reacts to things, but you need to accept it. Because, uh, especially with that whole time jump, Bryn did a lot of growing, not growing up so much as he was hiding a lot, but in terms of he he grew a a tough skin for a lot of uh, emotional responses. So it's a lot of having to peel that away and get to the bottom of what he actually wants out of his relationship with Havilar so that there's something going on. Because for her, she there's not really a conflict in terms of what she feels for him as much as whatever she seems to do seems to go wrong. Mm.
0: Yeah, and that's that's sort of the thing. I felt like they did this reset, like we're going to re- restart our relationship because everything's weird ever since we did the time jump. Um, but I, I didn't feel like that was specifically the problem for them most of the time. I thought there were plenty of problems for them. I just don't know that I felt like the time jump was the cause of those problems.
3: No,
1: Bryn's just being an ass.
0: <laughs> well, and in, fa- and, and in fairness, like to him, it's, it's almost weird that he hasn't completely moved on. Like this girl's been gone and presumed dead for how long? Seven Seven and a half years. Seven and a half years. I think after seven and a half years, if you haven't moved on, and then when they suddenly walk back into your life, and he's he's immediately back into it, it's like, well, that's 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 almost even more weird. I know it's more romantic. It's
2: it's (laughs) almost like it's a storybook romance, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, well,
0: (laughs) like I'd buy it from her end, right? Because for her, nothing, no time passed. But
1: it's a storybook romance, and then gets real. because like part of it is that they're dealing with part of when they originally got together Bryn was pretty much still on the run right so he didn't he is running from his obligations and now he's trying to not do that but it leads him to do things like not stand up for her
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and make her feel uh, less valued which means he might lose her Mm -hmm. because it's unclear at the end of the book like it's not very clear that they're going to end up happily ever after.
0: Well, no, and, and I think that's because Aaron Evans intends to write more books. <laughs> you know, yeah. If they ended up happily ever after, then that that that's a whole story thread that's gone. So, yeah. I don't
1: and know I, if that's I, necessarily I, true, but
0: I know. I'm not saying that there wouldn't still be more story. I'm just saying that's a thread that now isn't there anymore and it's it's not an insignificant thread right there's there's been a relationship sort of um story point throughout the the series
4: yeah and now we're the shift of the building relationship is more focusing and changing towards faraday and dal because in this book dal finally admits that he loves faraday Yeah,
2: I couldn't can can we get back to Farida? Because because I think she had a far more interesting time in this in this <laughs> novel than than than.
3: Uh... <laughs> uh, <she laughs> let O-R. Well, that's yeah. what she did. She let go, which is awesome <laughs> to see because uh, for a lot of it, she spends a lot of her time berating herself and being sorry and just not knowing how to deal with it. And then at one point, it's just like I. It's not that I don't care anymore, but it's like I deserve to have fun yeah and she finally can because the, the thing is that they ha- like Havalar and Faraday needed to split up because they're so connected that she just couldn't find herself without her. And that's part of the, that's part of the things that I like about this novel is that they split them up and that Faraday grows up a little.
0: Mm-hmm. She, she
3: accepts what she's done.
0: Yeah, she does a lot of growing up. Well. well, Havilar basically goes on a weekend trip to the <laughs> to, to the you know, chapel. It, it, it certainly didn't feel like a, like a weekend trip.
2: They were they were gone for yeah. I may for, be exaggerating for like then, a, like, a like a third a, of the book. I think was, oh yeah. I think
1: it was months More, that they're yeah, gone. Yeah. Well, the
2: whole yeah. book series, the whole book is seven months long. Where yeah. where do they find uh, Ir- Irvil? Yeah, uh, they
3: find him in a temple in a temple in the Holak Forest.
2: In the whole okay, forest, I got to look up. Yeah, the map. I'm sitting here looking at the at the <laughs> Forgotten Realms map, but I have no idea where that is. So, yeah. uh, I mean, I, I see the King's Forest on the on the 4e map, but if this is if this is after like the water levels receded or whatever, then then the entire
0: map could be, could be different. Yeah, but there wouldn't be just be a forest there immediately, would there? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> None of us know. <laughs>
2: Uh, like, I I find it odd that like was, most of Cormir is taken up by this star shaped lake on the on the e map. It is the northeastern border of Cormir and the Dales.
0: Okay. Yeah, there it is. So um, I mean, eh, that's a decent ways away from from Suzale. I don't know why it would take months to get to and from, but you know,
2: because they have to sneak past the armies of Shade. I guess I don't yeah, know. The, there's, the,
3: there's the armies. There's the mud and the rain,
2: yeah.
3: and they had to recruit people. Did we ever switch. figure
2: out why it was raining the entire time? Was that yes. just like a like a curse or this this book is occurring four months
4: before the reaver, and actually the whole reaver mm-hmm. book happens during Fire in the Blood. So yeah, the reaver exp- explains all the rain. It's oh, basically
2: yeah. ugly.
0: okay. I, yeah. I didn't read the reaver. So. Yeah, so in the Reaver, they, they talk about how it's just raining and raining and raining and raining, and it's nonstop raining, and then at the end of the Reaver, there's sort of this giant ritual pulling in the gods and, and this blessing or whatever, and so then it just dumps all the rain at once so it can stop raining, and, and it basically refills, um, you know, water that had drained away during the, the whole spell plug thing. Okay. So it resets the, the giant seas and lakes and things back to
2: okay, the so Okay, so, so the water level would have, would have risen. Yeah. At at some point. All right. Oh. So Yeah, this this novel can, can can I just say that like this this novel brought Cormier to life in in mm-hmm. a way that I've I've never quite experienced before and and I've read Forgotten Realms novels and and I've owned Forgotten Realms, you know, box sets and 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 things and you know, I think the last novel I read set in Cormier was uh Swords of Evening Star. Uh and like this novel made me want to like run a campaign in mm. in Cormier. Like it it made the whole magical kingdom, you know, war wizards, purple dragon knights, you know, snotty nobles, and and all seem like a compelling setting.
0: What's what's impressive to me is that there has been a lot of stories told in Cormier, and yet she has told her story in Cormier and utilized that stuff, but added but not been afraid to add to it, you know, to but continue to tell those stories. Because there's been a lot written in Cormier. Like Cormier is a very crowded place for an author to go. It backs up you know what
2: what you've said a lot, Jeff that, that that Aaron like more than any other author plays you know plays in the shared world like it's a shared world and she doesn't just have her own mm. her own
0: corner of it. She certainly has gotten there like when I when we first started reading her stuff, um, I actually critiqued her for, for not doing that very well and, and I was at that time I was speaking very highly of, of Eric Scott to be. Um, but she's certainly come to that point with this book she's fully integrated into what's going on in the shared world in, in a way that's I, I found impressive.
4: And she's even went and made changes to the world because by the end of the story, I mean, uh, the king is dead, mm-hmm. and the whole, the whole lineage is twisted and changed and resolved to make. Real yeah, two routine. two
2: two kings are dead, and one king has abdicated, and we have
0: a queen on the throne. Mm-hmm. And, and she and she, utilize, was, she utilizes several characters from Greenwood's recent novels as well. Um, and, and not, and not like necessarily major characters, you know, there's the ghost, uh, was it Alisair that runs around, Alisair, yeah. uh, but there was also some of the war wizards that were like, Oh, I recognize that name. That must've been in Greenwood's recent, uh, books uh like, or,
2: like, anyway. well, I mean, Ganrahast is, is like, you know, he's, he's probably like in the campaign setting cause well, he's, right, right, right.
0: he's the war wizard. Yeah. But there were some others, uh, uh, some other war wizards, um, but beyond the high mage that, that I recognize as well.
2: Yeah. I, 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 I I think beyond uh, Farida, um, Raidra R- was was my favorite character in this book. I yeah. really enjoyed like just watching her, you know. Like she she could have just been this this snotty noble like like all the others, but but she was like she was amazing.
1: I love the um, taking apart the dresses to make armor, basically
3: mm-hmm.
1: the silk armor. Hmm. And like like planning that all out and getting the women to to fight a bit and stuff
2: too, and 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 um, Evans has has this way of just like having like every character in this book like sorta like re- redeem themselves at the at at the end cuz like i mean it's a it's a war novel so like everyone comes comes together in this in this final battle and like there's there's this there's this scene where uh Raidra's, like locked in a in a room and and she has to get outside to, to lead, lead her people and like everybody helps her you know like even i think even like uh Crown Crownsilver who we were talking about in the in the beginning mm-hmm. Like she, like she does something to distract the purple knight, so that Idra R- R- can get can get out out of this room and go do what she, what she she needs to do. And like just, I I I like how Evans just sort of like humanizes everybody. Yeah, and yeah. I think you can you can even see that in the in the in the imps. You know, like we we have that brief scene where we learn that 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 one of them, I, I forget whether it was Mott or Dembo, you know, was was killed for you know giving giving havalar the 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 amulet and it's just like you know a, a brief sentence but like we, we we even feel sorry for these for these imps because you know there's there's consequences and
0: they and they're people and they're part of this huge story yeah so I mean Except, I guess of the of the mortals in uh, characters of the story, like everybody feels fully realized. Like I can understand and and sympathize with the perspective of every character, you know. Uh, and that hasn't always been the case, as we've heard of these characters through Bryn uh, and and Bryn's cousin that came and, and grabbed him, whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, uh, Constancia? Yeah. 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 Um, and so so they ha- they haven't been fully realized through their interpretations of them, but that's also I mean, that's how people work, right? We don't always consider other people that complexly as, as you know fully realized individuals. Uh, but so like I found all of everybody to be fairly um, sympathetic and, and realized. like there was no character who was a, a minor villain. The villains, were not the ones getting a lot of attention except for the ones in the Hells, right? We got some attention from from them. But in terms of the real villains, the real villains were Shade and at no point in time were we told the story from their perspective. Um, we were told the story from the perspectives of the people in Cormier, and they all felt like, yeah, I could totally see why they're doing what they're doing and I don't necessarily disagree with them. Now it's just a bunch of people with difficult choices to make.
1: Well, and Well One of the ones I loved uh, was me and actually... Uh, because he grew in his fatherly role mm. uh, and realized that his two girls had grown up and that they needed to have lives of their own. And so he ceded a lot of um, control that he had tried to have in previous novels. Mm-hmm.
2: And and uh, he even, he even has a bright bird by, by, by the end yes! of it.
0: <laughs> Which is interesting because me um, and to me seems to have slowly taken more and more of, of a, of a back role, I guess, in the, in the story. Like in the first book, he was clearly one of the main characters. Um, in the second book, he continued to be. And then, uh, then he just almost completely disappeared. Now they finally got him back. and, and, and well, I think,
2: I think we're, we're going to get way more of Meehan in the, in the next book. Cause they're going to
0: Tim Anther. Yeah. Well, and, and they, and we might, but I, I, I feel like a lot of what we've gotten um, in this book from him almost seemed unnecessary. Like I, I appreciate the the explanation of his relationship and, and some of that background or whatever. Um, but in terms of telling this story, I don't know that it was needed, uh, unless and and this may be very well the case. And, and I think what you're talking about, Jeff, unless it is setting the the stage for the next book. Now, can can somebody
2: recap for me like what what Meehan's backstory is? Because I, I I I can't remember who this
0: Ar Johnny person is or or why he was exiled. Um. Yeah, so I think it was – and and, and I'm trying to remember myself. I think it was um, he was supposed to – he was uh, supposed to marry this person. Um, A
2: a female.
0: Yeah, and and that wasn't going to happen because he doesn't swing that way. Um, And so since that wasn't going to happen – and he refused to marry the person that he was betrothed to. Um, he was, you know, um, exiled. He was dishonored or whatever. Uh, and, and then we found out from this um, story, that from this novel, that, well, the person who was in charge that did all of that exiling, apparently it wasn't just Mihin that got himself in trouble and kicked out, has actually um, been gotten rid of. And the new ruler has sort of said, yeah, that was all. Well, who's, like, who's this?
2: Who's this our, our Johnny person? What, like, wasn't there a Dragonborn in, in the adversary um, who, was, who was kind of hitting on, on mehen or, or something? And, I, I, and there was something about how, like b- between the last novel and this novel, he went away or something, And, and I, I just can't remember what, what happened there, and I appreciate if someone could fill in the, in the gaps in my memory.
3: What's what's going on from the beginning was, Mahan had a lover, in the first in when we first find out about that, which is either in the second or third book, I can't remember, but um, he had a lover. He wouldn't give up the lover, so he got banished mm-hmm. by that. Um, then uh, then when he goes to the village, what happens is that, um, which we find out in this book, he has a visitor. At one point, who then abandons him again. And then we have uh, when he meets up with Arjani in the adversary, that was a reminder of because he is a figure of uh, myth almost in his hometown because he stood up for what he wanted instead of following the clan. So that person wanted to become like Mahan. And so he went and said, oh, you know, let me be close to you. And was literally just that was what he was trying to do was he was trying to sleep with him because he's like, oh, you're like me. You must automatically want to sleep with me. Mm. So because that and that was where you saw that first bit of why there are dragon boy that come to see Mahan every once in a while. Well, part of it's
2: also because of, of of the whole re- religion thing. like like I think I think that dragonborn thought Mihan left out because of worship, I
3: thought. Hmm. But Mihan doesn't worship right. like he was he
2: was conf- like like a lot of the dragonborn from uh Mihan's country think that he was exiled over over matters of of religion when, in fact he was he was not. But they, but they show up before him anyway, expecting him to like lead them towards um, uh, uh, Bahamut or whoever the 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 dragon. Like I, I remember something yeah. about that from the adversary. It was
3: it was more because he ch- he chose to be- to believe something more than following the clan, and so the, for them that belief means automatically it must be some sort of faith.
2: Okay, okay. Maybe maybe Jeff can can ask uh, Aaron for me, and she- <laughs> we
0: can we can we can get the get the Cliff Notes version. All right, I'm gonna t- make a note of that so I remember. Yeah.
4: Okay. So so among the sisters, who I mean, uh, Faraday has a soul sight, uh Havilar has Zuni, the, the dog. I mean, both of them are useful at two different things. I I, I like both.
2: Anybody have preferences? And, and, and she has uh, Mott and Dembo. Or
0: she, she, she had Mott and, and Dembo. Not, not now she uh, just has one, has of, has them. one of them. Mott. <laughs> well, and that's tricky, right? Because um, I think Farida... So Farida has a power granted to her because of her chosen status. Um, Havilard, so far that we've seen, doesn't. She has some minions or whatever that have been sent to aid her. But she doesn't necessarily have any power.
3: But that's one of the things that is smart about Asmodeus is he appeals to what they like. Mm. That with ferida she was already a warlock. This this power, she would like to be able to help people. So in terms of the soul sight, you have that. Mm-hmm. And then with Hathalar, it's she likes things. Like, anything physical. So, giving her a pet hellhound or access to get a pet hellhound is way better to gain regard, basically, Mm -hmm. than Mm -hmm. to give her power. Because to her, her power comes from having and defending herself and having a glaive in her hand.
2: Mm
4: -hmm. We haven't really seen it, but... Could she, could it be that her power is to be able to summon those
2: imps? Yeah, um, like like all, all she has to do is say I I'm in trouble and and they show up, right?
0: We'll see, maybe. <laughs> I and, and it's also um, I almost feel like Havalar is currently Plan B, you know. Um, most of I, I feel like uh, Asmodeus, or Asmodeus, however we want to pronounce him, um, has put most of his eggs in the Farida basket, or at least it's the it's the more important of the baskets for his larger plots, uh, and that. But that Havilar is in in the mix as well.
1: Yeah, because um, while she has soul sight, she also had a few other, or at least one other big yeah.
2: power thing where she like burned everything. She, can, she, she, she turns turn into, into the, a. Burning, burning angel. Yeah, the burning angel. Yeah, isn't isn't that just a warlock spell though? But or 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 not? Is it, are well, right? not the way it was written.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it, it seemed to be a lot more important than
2: than just a spell somebody learns. I can't I can't wait for the um, brimstone angels uh, rulebook module for <laughs> for D anD D fifth edition. How to cast spells just like Farida? <laughs>
0: that's,
2: that's what I want. What what about Lorcan? We haven't talked about him at at all and he got he got um he
0: was really evil. Yes. Well, and in some at ways the, in at some the ways end of this. in some ways I found him less interesting in this book because he was less nuanced, I guess. You I know?
2: I don't know. I I I don't know about less less nuanced, but but he's like he's always interesting. Um I just, I just like, you know, I just, I just like, you know, again, Evans does, is, is is very good at, at dialogue and, and, and banter and this, this sort of dry, this, this, this dry wit and Lorkin's internal monologue is nothing but that. Mm. So like every time we're, we're following him, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just brilliant. And, um, yeah, like I, uh, Tracy, go ahead.
1: Oh no, I was just gonna say like two of the evil things he does just so that we're, we're clear about it. It's like he makes Faraday a, si- Faraday a six, so she doesn't go with Havelar and Mian and Bryn to to find the crown prince. And then at the end, he uh, makes it. He gives Dahl a choice that he obviously has to pick: right. uh, saving his family, uh, but that means he can't be around uh, Faraday, Faraday, anymore, Faraday
0: mm-hmm. anymore. I I, I like
1: that
2: he that he, he cannot go. Uh,
1: can't contact her
0: directly. Yeah, yeah. yeah but uh, and this is where he to me has fully transitioned into villain status too. I like, I don't know about that because every step of the way you can you can still see his point of view. Oh, I can see his point of view, but it it's not pleasant.
3: The thing with Lorcan is that he is a very confused, conflicted being. Because he's got he's got these... he's trying to put into the context of what he grew up when either feelings or um... things that he, he wants to do, he doesn't understand why he wants to do them so he puts them in the context of the Hells, it's like, oh, I need to do this because I want to control Faraday I need to do this because you know, I need to keep my head down so he's justifying a whole bunch of actions to himself without actually knowing in with the way I'm reading it, knowing what he's doing, there is this stuff where the evil acts, he knowingly does take them and do them. And this is where you pretty much, you cement the whole, as you were saying, evil status or bad guy status, but he is still got that, uh, what i that element of there, it could change in a different universe <laughs> type. Like so, I, I, I-
2: I think he he still like he, in 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 his own devilish way he loves F- Farida but he he's also out of his comfort zone he's got he's got the the ruler of his lair breathing down his neck he's got the lord of the hells breathing down 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 his neck and, and he's where he never wanted to be and like his his I mean he you know ki- kind of like uh you know Bryn is Is he he's kind of like the the opposite of of Bryn? Bryn is this really good guy who doesn't want to disappoint anybody, and and Lorcan is is a devil who also doesn't want to disappoint anybody for very different reasons, but but still, like, he like there's there's consequences if he if he doesn't pursue uh Farida and and try and and control her, he could he could literally get torn to shreds by you Mm. know. The, by by the god of evil mm-hmm. but
3: but
1: then i what one of the things i found really funny in the novel um was when lorkin and frida finally get together it is a kinky scene because there's like the pain element enduring it too mm-hmm. and yeah, i has... love
2: that that's so funny <laughs> <laughs> it's very kinky it's, it's gonna hurt a little this should be interesting <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I, you know what I love I love that, that, that he makes Farida sick with, with, with a vial that is clearly labeled like sickness disease and then he leaves it there <laughs> and then he leaves it <laughs> yeah. there for, for several like, I months no would find that. the fact that he did
4: also did not do his research on because uh, he actually wanted Havilar and Farida staying stay in, in, in Suzelle
2: and, and and you know what's gonna happen the second it rolls under the bed and he says, Oh, I'll just leave it there, you know just gonna find it. Yeah. And she does.
3: Which I found I'm like, Oh, that's a little the 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 problem I had with that is like, Wow, that's way too obvious if you're trying to be subtle about certain things. Yeah. That was like it was like
0: but it's the, the, the it, it, gun scene. Yeah. But I almost it, I almost feel like, like it's 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 a manifestation of just how broken Lorcan is. Like is there is there an element of of Lorcan that kind of wanted to be caught? Yes. You know, I, I have thought through the last through the previous like three books that there was a like Lorcan is a is the bad guy and I really didn't want Frida to end up with him, so I was really disappointed at one point in this book, although redeemed by by the end. Um, cuz she seems to have gotten past that now. Uh, finally, uh, but at the same time, like I felt like, d- despite that, there was a chance that Lorcan could be redeemed. I'm not. Uh, wor- I think I, he I, still can. I, I, I couldn't care less whether he's redeemed now. Like he's gone. He's crossed the line for me.
4: Yeah, he has crossed a line. He, he, he a made his choice. He made his choice. He is a villain, but he's a fun. I, I find he's a fun villain to have. He, someone who's interesting to read and talk. And about because of what he does, it's someone you enjoy tonight
2: i well, i disagree i still i still like him i like i i still think he can he can be be a hero
1: well and I'm not sure like i don't necessarily care if they have a romance. I want them to keep hooking up <laughs>
2: <laughs> i I'm, I'm with tracy for power ups. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll they'll do a Dragon Ball thing
0: where where they combine for greater power. Oh, do they have to do a dance first? <laughs> Wasn't that a Dragon Ball thing where they had to do some dance and then they they merged? I don't know. Yeah,
1: like so part of it for me is that I mean we've read a bunch of for- Forgotten Real novels now, and like some of the authors try to do. Um, the very casual sex sort of thing. And I felt like this was like the best example of, uh, from the female point of view so far that I've read.
0: Well, it's, then it's the only one that we've read from a female author too. So that, yeah. that, that may be a point of view that, that they're more capable of having or that she's more capable of having.
1: But you know, the guys can, can reverse
2: oh, no.
0: engineer this. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. No.
2: Tracy, I will, I will once again, uh, point you towards the, um, uh, the the Harper's books that I, that I brought up several several podcasts ago, and I can't remember the author's name, but she's like the only other female author in the in the in the realms, really. Uh, Elaine uh, Cunningham. Yes, in the is yes. that who it is? Yeah, there's there, there's a series of like three or four books that Elaine Cunningham wrote in the '90s, so like second age stuff that are really darn good, and I I would I would point
0: point you towards them. Cool. She did some uh, some Drow books as well, a, a series. Yeah, I I didn't read those. I, I haven't either. Daughter of the Drow. I've I've been yeah. interested to check them out though. Oh. Cool. Well, I think we are winding out down our conversation in just the right amount of time because Tracy and I are getting ready to go talk to uh, to Aaron Evans herself in just a moment. So, any last thoughts before we uh, before we wrap things up? No thoughts.
3: Oh, I Hi. okay. I do have something. I one thing I did appreciate from this book is. Now, I don't read Forgotten Realms. I don't read most D&D books. I've picked up a bit of the Sundering right now, but that's about the extent that I have for Forgotten Realms. But what I did enjoy is that these, like, Erin Evans explores all characters regardless of the, 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 the Credo Creed sex or any of those things. She fully fleshes out... Any character she touches instead of just keeping, you know, a ke- keeping a lot of um, one dimensional characters around. She actually at least touches on most characters that she uses. And I really enjoyed that part.
2: I, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. A- and, and since, since uh, Chris said something really intelligent and insightful, I'll just say that I, I really wanted uh, Frida and Reidra to kiss. <laughs> that that is the only thing that could have made the book better for me,
0: but minus minus that—that's that, that's a whole other relationship angle that that I don't think was even uh, touched on.
1: You are dedicated to this.
0: <laughs> it's a ship. It is, it is. It is. It is. It is. It is a fan ship. I yeah, think. I think so. Is, is that the term? I don't know. I don't think but you should could,
1: write a chat book about it. There,
0: yes, write it. Write a realms chat book about it. It'll be brilliant. Awesome. We'll send it off to Aaron and the Watsi people and we'll see if we can get it to publish on the website. It'll be fun.
1: <laughs> but if not it becomes become a new version of Fifty Shades of Grey.
0: Absolutely. Mm. Alright. <laughs> uh, it's the fifty pole arms
4: of the realms.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would have gone more of the sword angle because Redra is more for she's all about the swords of the kingdom, so
2: yeah, I, I did like all that um, historical stuff. Like, like I, I, I guess they were like chapter openings, but because I didn't have a print novel, like, mm-hmm. it, w- it was hard for me to, like, actually, like, study them. Like, they just kind of came, came and went. Mm-hmm. Like, here's here's a fact about a sword or a painting.
3: Yeah, it was so. every, every like, part one, part two, part three, I had a, sword, a description of each of the swords of Cormier mm-hmm. as yeah. an intro into it. So it was cool. There,
2: There is definitely an advantage of, of print over, over audio because you, you can go back and, and, like, actually study things.
0: Yeah, and I've seen some audiobooks do those things better and, and help delineate when those transitions are happening and what's going on, but...
4: One thing I did notice for those things is that the wedding blade, the last one for the epilogue, so they speak about Queen Red Ross, so that seems to imply this comes from actually the future rather than being mm-hmm. historical. It's... A future painting and all that, so. Which
0: oh, yeah, yeah. That was cool.
1: Well, that's our discussion. Uh, let's chat with Aaron M. Evans, the author of the book.
0: We are here now with Aaron M. Evans, again, author of Fire in the Blood. How you doing?
1: I'm doing well. How are you guys?
0: We're great. <laughs> I'm going to speak for Tracy. We're great. <laughs> <laughs> right, Tracy?
1: Yeah. Definitely. Okay, good.
0: So, Aaron, Fire in the Blood. <laughs> what? What's Fire in the Blood about? That's how we like to start.
1: Um, Fire in the Blood is. Oh man, I, I'm like I wrote this book so long ago. Yeah. Uh, it's about. It's actually Fire in the Blood is the sort of the sequel to Brimstone Angels that I had always planned, but. Um, sort of. Epic level instead instead sure. of of heroic or whatever it is you do now. Um, it's the story it follows uh, the adversary the story of Farida, um, kind of trying to work out what her her sort of chosen abilities are. Now that she knows she's the chosen Vasmodeus, as well as um, the the whole party dealing with um Cormier and Cormier during the Sundering, which is involved in a lot of sort of class issues and,
0: uh, when isn't warfare. Cormier involved in class issues? I know, right? <laughs> like
1: that's, that's just like Cormier's MO, um, and cultural misunderstandings and, and things. And so you, you have Brita, you have Bryn dealing with, you know, trying to have the life he wants and not completely flake out on all of his sort of inborn responsibilities as a noble. Um, and then you also have the princess of Cormier, Raedra and her, trying to sort of shepherd her country through this time of intense war where everything is going wrong.
0: Even though nobody thinks she's qualified to do it. Even
1: though nobody thinks she's qualified to do it. (laughs) I loved how uh, she created her little war council. And then she's like, I need a plan. (laughs) You guys know how to fight. Tell me a plan.
4: Mm.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the war council she inherited too like these are the people her grandfather picked out her oh i mean oh oh oh, her her kitchen cabinet (laughs) 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 where she's like i have kind of a plan so so yeah like her like i kind of have a plan but i need someone to tell me why it works or doesn't work without getting their ego in the middle of it
3: right Mm -hmm.
1: because like yeah the reality is you get in that kind of situation and and people want to kind of knock you down a peg and be like see you don't know everything and it's like that's not actually the point right now
0: so other than Shade who is sort of a nebulous villain because no. there's not like a villain in, in, in Shade specifically I mean there's the one that comes writing in on the purple dragon I'm I'm, yes. doing, I'm doing air quotes so you have to listen to those um, Who who is the villain of the story
1: that's sort of tricky isn't it mm. it's uh it's it isn't a sort of traditional sword and sorcery narrative in that way. The, the antagonist is, um, it's a little more fractured. It's there is sort of like, I could get probably get into a, like the, the, uh, the antagonist is in all of us. It's our own doubts kind of thing. Um, there's, you know, there's Briseis Kikistos is still, uh, and serchi uh, are still kind of forces to to reckon with um but they're sort of nibbling at the edges yeah they're you know, there's yeah there's a, i mean i think there's a lot of of it's it's it is sort of about that that intersection of what you what you're expected to do what you're responsible uh for um what you need to do but then also what you want you know what 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 you're sort of striving for like the difference between and and even sort of the difference between like lawful and good almost like these are the things you're you're expected and you've agreed to and and um, sort of the structures that that you've put yourself into and and should follow through on but then there's doing the right thing and the thing that's true for you and um, and where those two don't line up and how do you make them line up or do you just jettison the whole thing right um, so I, I I enjoyed writing it. It's definitely something that uh, there were times I looked at it and I was thinking back to when I worked as an editor, and there was a really kind of strong emphasis on the you know we tell fantasy adventure stories that are really very much sword and sorcery and very much um, you know kind of dude fights a monster uh, on the mm. on the very base level, um, and, it, and it it isn't that in a lot of ways. I mean, there's there's tension, obviously. There's sort of like. Um, opposing forces and and such, but it it does sort of fall more into like the epic fantasy structure where, um, you know, you're not fighting something specific, you're you're sort of fighting with something much more um, nebulous in that way. Fighting sexism in the realms.
3: <laughs> There's
1: definitely a degree of that. <laughs> Cormier no. is, Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say Cormier, Cormier is always. I, I have to admit, I didn't come into writing a Cormier already loving it. There are a lot of things about Cormier that drive me bonkers. Um, and and one thing is that there is a lot of... It, it's presented in a way that's sort of like, it's equal, but it's really not. Mm-hmm. There's like a lot of sexism. Um, but then there's sort of this implication that there isn't, right? That, no, no, it's not that women don't rule. It's that they don't want to
0: rule. They want to be the power behind the throne kind of vibe. Although there, um, although there that, is a history of queens. Not That's, many.
1: There are six limited. queens, six queens regnant in all of Cormier's history. And there's, I mean, there's like queen Fiferel, who's like everybody's favorite. Right. And there's the, the steel regent. Um, but you know, if you go through the King's list and this, and, and, and a lot of it, you know, I, I, I let's actually think, I'm not hundred percent sure which parts of this are like struck down serious canon and which parts are sort <laughs> of fill in where they're like, okay, well there has to be at least this many here. Um, then there's, yeah, there's six queens regnant. One, like abdicated one went crazy uh, one died after like a month or something and there's just you know they're there but they're they're not um, they're not in the quantity you would expect based on the way that the kingdom is set up which is that you know the king chooses their his or the queen chooses their crown prince or crown princess. And that's, you know, they choose their heir and it's usually their firstborn. You'd think just by odds, right. There would be more Queens, but Mm. you know, you have what, what you set down and then you have what people, how people apply that overall. Right. Mm. And, and, you know, this is something that's been around for a really long time. And it's been around since before, you know, people were really sitting up and saying, you know, Hey, people want to see more variation here. They want to see, you know, a, a queen who's, um, you know, a queen like Alasair, right? Like, it's always kind of bummed me out we didn't get to see Alasair as queen. Mm. Um, and then, you know, you see, or, or even like really terrible queen, right? You don't, you don't see the, the range because there's just not a lot of them. Yeah. Well, and also with that argument, the problem I have with it is that we also had queens in medieval Europe, but we, nobody would say that it was a gender equal society. Sure. True.
0: True. I mean ultimately Cormier is is at least loosely based on, on medieval France, right? I don't know
1: if I've never, ever heard of specifics like that, but the, you know there are there are definitely aspects of it. The yes. other thing, the other thing that I kind of go a little like, what about is that, that it's presented as a very like sort of sexually liberated mm. um, place, but you don't see the women side of that so much. Yes. And that might just be like who's written about it before it's largely been men. But it's kind of like, well, if it's totally okay to, like, have, you know, like, a polyamorous relationship, like, that goes both ways, right?
0: Uh Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: And that, I thought, was fun to write about, too, because it's, I don't know, it was interesting to to do that in a way that still felt, you know, vaguely medieval-esque. And, you know, Farida would be just sort of uncomfortable with the whole thing because she doesn't have the language to deal with it. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. So we talked a bit about the sex in the book, uh, but we didn't talk about the polyamorous part. <laughs> mm. I did bring up that uh, the Lorcan and uh, Frida sex scene was very kinky, and that the <laughs> fest hall with the silks was burlesque. Yeah, but <laughs> but I forgot about the polyamory part. Yeah, because I I mean, like you look back and and sort of the the mirror everybody thinks of is you know Azun the fourth and and Featural, and they had an open marriage and it was, I mean, that was just that was canon, that was there mm-hmm. there's just gobs and gobs of Cormerians are descended from him, so I just don't think that there would be a whole lot of fuss about Raedra and Bryn having kind of an open relationship like that as long as they didn't sort of embarrass anybody, right? Sure. If you were going out and carousing and, and hanging off, you know, whatever floozy and throwing money at them um, you're, yeah, probably somebody's going to say something and there's just that much gossip as currency, right?
0: Mm. But yes. otherwise, it, it seems like that that the upper crust of Cormier are all about appearances, right? So yeah. as long as you you put forth the effort to keep up appearances, <laughs> then what's actually happening is pretty irrelevant to people, you know.
1: I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I also I love that. Um, Fr- Frida had that um oh moment when she was starting to get. Um, they thought her, she was her sister in the oh, fest yeah. halls, mm. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, "That must mean that, <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah." I think that deeply, it like, kind of makes her uncomfortable, like knowing things about her sister that she wasn't told. Well, right? which and she wasn't it, told for a reason, but. which
0: is interesting yeah. as well because that brings in the the Javi Brin relationship, which. Uh, had advanced to a certain point. Uh, and then, you know, there were continuously problems or whatever throughout the, the story. And then at the end, they sort of decided to do this big reset, which felt to me like them dealing with the, the time jump that she had gone through,
3: mm-hmm.
0: which at the same time, I don't know that I felt like was the source of the problems that they were having. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? So So it's like they reset the thing, that wasn't actually the source of the issues.
1: I think they I mean I think there's sort of a problem there where Bryn phrases it like that, and and they're sort of I don't know, they're in an unenviable position, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're in a relationship where both of them are kind of coming to realize like through this this time of serious stress that they both do a lot of things that um, clash with each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and there's a certain amount that because, you know, because of that, you know, that, that, that their relationship sort of breaks down. Um, and my, my thought is sort of more that this is, is them sort of taking space to kind of work out their own issues, uh, kind of around the time jump and her coming back all of the sudden Mm. while recognizing that they're, they're still in love with each other. Now, does that, is that fixable still? That's sort of the question, right? Like I think everybody in a serious relationship goes through points where you get sort of really out of sync and really out of alignment. And, and sometimes you say, okay, no, that just shows how we don't work. And, you know, sometimes you say, oh, okay, wait, let's, like, figure this out. And then sometimes you try and figure it out, and, and it just, it's longer and worse. Um, but, I, I mean, that's, there. it's a weird thing, because there's not really a, a real-world parallel to it. But... hmm Well, I mean, I think, though, that sort of stepping back, yeah, is pretty common. But I don't find it common in books. Like, usually it's all either burn it all down or happily ever after. Oh yeah. Um, and not like an actual adult.
0: Uh, uh, we have to work <laughs> at this sort of thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that was the thing that too, I cause I was talking about me and a little bit, um, I loved how he grew as a father mm-hmm. to the point where it was like, uh, yeah, my daughters are old enough. They're going to have people in their lives and then they're old enough to make those decisions. Yeah. Um, which I thought was a very adult, uh, way of looking at it that not necessarily all fathers do. Yeah.
0: Speaking <laughs> yeah. of, speaking of Mihin, a healthy <laughs> way. Yeah, we had a request dealing with mehin during the oh, conversation. Really? Um, could you give us the cliff notes, uh, st- uh, the story of Mihin?
1: Um, I can. It's called <laughs> Ashes of the Tyrant. I'm working on it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, so you've gotten through the series of you get like little. Bits of uh, and hints about Mahen's past and and what brought him where he is, and in Ashes of the Tyrants, you kind of get a much more detailed uh, mm-hmm. exploration of it. And then also they go to Jared Thymar, so you get um, kind of the repercussions of it. Um, the, I'm trying to like I'm like oh I don't want to spoil anything, but I'm also I well, I, I don't know so, I never so the, care the- about spoilers, so this is what I do. You want the like so far, kind of thing that I, I, and and risk the possibility of knowing something that that you're not supposed to know yet.
0: <laughs> I, I, I mean, I guess I mean we were just trying to hash out sort of what we knew. Like there oh, okay. was there was a relationship that got him banished uh, because he wouldn't give it up, and yeah, um, and and then there's um, there well, was- and specifically who Arjani is.
1: Okay, Arjani, yeah, Arjani is Mahen's former lover. Um, he was the guy that Mahen was like crazy about. Mm -hmm. And then when Mahen's father brokered a marriage, um, Mahen kind of, I think if you ask Mahen, he would say, I acted like a, like a child and said, you know, screw you. I, I, I'm not going to marry her because that other clan is very, um, very concerned with appearances and that sort of thing. And so it's like, no, you can't. You know, you can't keep your your boyfriend as a side piece, kind of thing. Mm. Um, and so, uh, Mehen said, "Fine, I'll leave." And then he said, "You know, I'm leaving." Our Arjani. and our like, "Yeah, I don't know about
3: that." <laughs> um,
1: there's a this sort of another little ev- um, event within that, that 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 was originally supposed to be in one of the scenes in one of the. Um, the waters scenes an adversary that gets hinted at in Fire and the Blood and gets explored more in Ashes of the Tyrants, which is that, um and, and you act you know, when you find out that uh Dumuzi is Arjani's son, um basically if you and, you and and this you can you can know if you if you've pulled together the right pieces. Um so Mahen gets exiled and he leaves and um, he and Arjani are in the same clan. They're not in the same family. Like they're mm-hmm. There's several lines that make up a clan, so our Johnny got tapped to marry Wadget instead, and and a little bit as sort of a, a spitting in Menhen's eye. He and his father don't didn't don't have a good I guess didn't you do know he's dead now. Um, didn't have a good relationship. He's a very kind of abusive and terrible guy. Uh, so um, so so yeah. So but then what happens is that you know once Wadget manages to lay some eggs. Arjani freaks out because he's got commitment issues and and goes and finds head and is like, I love you, I don't want to leave, and and I'll stay here. And then after a couple of months, goes, No, no, never mind, I can't do that, and leaves again. So he's not a good
0: guy. <laughs> he's, got, he's got some issues, yeah.
1: Yeah. He's uh he's hard to write because I cause he does show up in Ashes of the Tyrants, and it's like usually I can kinda you can you either have somebody who you relate to on some level, you can kind of mm. see where they're coming from, or you've crafted like like with Rand. I never have a point of view for for a Rand, and I never, mm-hmm. I I would never say I got into his mindset. I just kind of strung together horrible things and went. Ugh. Um, <laughs> whereas our Johnny, it takes he takes some sort of psychology, like to kind of go like, why is he like this? Mm-hmm. Like, why does he have these reactions? Um, but I still really hate the guy. <laughs> yeah.
0: that's, so that's actually interesting. It's interesting. You t- you, it's interesting that you talk about the way you you do that with the different characters because that's one of the things we mentioned is that, uh, and that that's sort of the root of where my question was about the villains, right? Is that yeah. the, the, all of the characters seemed realized, you know, and so none of them felt like the villain because like all of them is like, yeah, I can totally get what they're doing. Like I may not have done it that way myself, but they're in a they're they're in a position and they're making a hard choice. Even uh, what was it, Lady Crown Silver? Who who we had, had been built up in our minds through the previous books as being sort of uh, a horrible person, I don't know, felt almost reasonable. You know, yeah. in, in certain moments, like oh well, I don't necessarily like the way she's treating you know those of the lower classes or whatever, um, or the outsiders or what have you. But at the same time, like I get it, like I get right. what she's doing, and she seems reasonable the way she's dealing with uh, Havilar and and Frida and all that. So.
1: Yeah, and that was—I mean—that's what i have kind of always tried to do, but I think I get—you get to kind of show, showcase it a little bit more in this book. Like mm-hmm. one thing I really, really, really wanted when going into this was I knew that given uh, Brynn and Havie's relationship, people were going to be primed to hate Raydra. She's the other woman. She's bad. She's here to show you how good Havilar is. That is her role in the book because structurally, that's what you see a lot, and to the point where. Like I had posted um, the scene. I think I posted that first scene with Brynn and Rager arguing and people were like, Oh, I can't wait to get him away from that nasty princess kind of thing because they're so sort of primed for that reaction. And I'm so like, I went in going, okay, so people are going to open this book and assume she's a bitch. So how do I take them to a place where they're rooting for her without turning mm. on Havalar? Right. Because, mm-hmm. because that's such a, that that sort of I hate calling it a love triangle because it it it's not the same. Like he's not really deciding between the two of them, right? Um, but that sort of thing has a you know it's got a, um, a history and there's an expectation. So yeah, so I was like, okay, let's go in. And the first thing she's going to do is rip Bryn a new one. Um, so you read that, and if you're kind of primed to, to dislike her, you know, you're like, oh my god, she just won't back off. She won't. She's not nice and all this stuff. Um, but then if you go back, if you felt that way and you go back and read it again, she's, she's making really good points. Like, he really whiffed on this one.
0: Oh, mm-hmm. well, yeah. I mean, Bryn certainly has his flaws. Um, and, and it really, I guess there is a love triangle, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a love triangle between three people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's between his, you know, between Havilar and his, what he feels is his duty, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean and I mean even to, if you can even take that back further there's there's sort of the expectation the the, the role he was born into um, and and what he feels he owes Cormier, um, versus what he wants because you know what brin would really rather do is is basically be like a you know like a vagabond right mm. be an adventurer like he doesn't he doesn't like being a nobleman he doesn't enjoy it um, and he's not he doesn't feel like he's necessarily particularly good at it partly because he hates it so much right mm. um, with the sort of irony that that despite him hating it like he is good at, at certain aspects
0: well and that's i mean it's the it's the reluctant leader right it's the yeah. sometimes sometimes the best person for a job is the, is the person who wants at least and yeah. for these for the same reason you know
1: Definitely. So I see that uh, Jeff has a question here about why is Tiamat in the hells? <laughs>
0: I've, got, I've, got, I've got several questions. I just want you to like light, lightning round for us. So Tiamat in the hells, go.
1: Um, so my understanding is that that was a decision that RPG made um, when they were writing the Horde of the Dragon Queen. And then there was – and it was something that was sort of weird because everybody at the summit just was like, okay – um, and then I went to look and I was like, wait, she's not in the hell. She's in Banehold. Why did you guys put her in Banehold? And, and nobody really knew. And so I, I had in the summit, um, when they announced that they were going to do this Horde of the Dragon Queen, uh, I was talking to Ed Greenwood and he was, t- or Edward Green was talking at that point and he was talking about how there was this idea they had kicked around that whatever Tiamat devoured um, disappeared for like was destroyed completely. And I was like, that is awesome. And I'm thinking like, wow, what a great reason to keep her in the hell. So then it sort of becomes this um, price sort of, because I mean, I, I don't like the idea of Tiamat slinking around Banehold trying to, Keep from being destroyed by Bane, um, and there's enough time there that I don't think it's it's unreasonable for Asmodeus to be like, you want to you know what's better? Um, all you got to do is guard this gate and occasionally eat something. That's it. Um, but then she ends up sort of trapped so that she matches the the multiverse. So it was a it was a little bit of a kind of a fix, a polish to, to realign the the lore stuff. But
0: it still just feels like there's a story there that wasn't told.
1: Speak- a little bit, yeah, yeah.
0: Speaking of which, what caused the sundering?
1: Um, <laughs> a marketing decision. No. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: so, my understanding of what caused the sundering is on on like a meta level is Ao. Um, is it, basically when Ao destroys the tablets of fate, like in the um, time of troubles, mm. like that causes the. The era of upheaval, which includes the spell plague and everything, you know, kind of going to pot. And now Ao A- 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 goes, okay, well now you've learned your lesson, and so he's um, reforging the tablets of fate, uh, and then things happen. But okay. the, you know, part of writing the books that are they're sort of taking place on the character level is not worrying about that
0: part. <laughs> oh sure, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you, and you, I mean, you, you, and you, you did that. On, on one hand we've had the whole sundering series and now two of your books um mm-hmm. dealing with around this war that yeah. sh- that shade is waging apparently with everybody um and yet we've never gotten the story of the war um you know which on one I'm hand not, yeah, which I'm on one hand drives me nuts and on the other hand like we got some cool stories out of it but but yeah. par- but I also want to know what the heck this war thing is you know
1: yeah i mean i think like you get you get kind of enough, I think, to sort of f- fill in the gaps. And then theoretically, mm-hmm. you know, there's a there's an RPG product in there that says, here's like the, the nitty gritty of here's where the battles were fought and stuff.
3: Sure.
1: Um, the. And, and you know, to some extent, a lot of a lot of the the war um, has, has been sort of people in charge making kind of hasty decisions based on nervous gods and um not really understanding what what necessarily they're getting into
0: so yeah, when you started talking about people in uh, in charge making hasty well, decisions i thought you were talking about people at watsi for at first so. uh, uh, and i'm like isn't the whole point of this of the summits to not do that but then you explained so.
1: <laughs> no no i mean um you know See, this is one of those things. It's like I hate to try to explain this because I shade is something that I I I Ooh. deal with, but I always deal with On sort edges. of the edges of right. Yeah. I don't I you know when they were doing stuff and they were sort of divvying up the princes, twelve princes. I didn't ever make a grab for one because I'm not that interested in in that kind of a character. Um, it's it's not where I feel like my strengths lie. Right. Mm-hmm. So I I hate to be like, well, this is what te- uh, Telemont was thinking. Um, but I get the impression that there's a certain amount of, of hubris and and thinking, like, this is the time to strike. And, in, I mean, in some ways, like, in Cormier's case, it's not it's not entirely wrong, right? You have this king who's in very failing health and this crown prince who's, like, a good guy, but he's really inexperienced when it kind of comes to this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you've never seen the war wizards come back to the numbers they had before the spell plague, especially when, you know, Elminster shows up and just wastes them because they're in his way come on dude <laughs>
0: uh,
1: and and you know they're weakened and then you know they decide to make a play for Sembia um to push senbia back and and then the great rain hits and everything goes wrong it's like oh this is the perfect time to attack them mm-hmm. uh, but you know and that's the other thing is that it feels like shade is everywhere but i think it's mostly that that the books are all focused in on those spots, it's right? Like she's basically attacking Cormier and the Dale lens and myth- they're moving towards myth because mm. the Dale are basically in between them and myth Dranner, and you know, only, only, they only sort of care about it to that. And now I'm looking at sure. my maps. I'm like, I'm going to say that. And then it's me like, actually, <laughs> um, no, what I know is that, that, when I was, we were talking about the army movement, I was like, I need to know what's happening with Harrowdale because, you know, like that's mm. going to be on Doll's mind. So, sure. if I really need you to not like wipe Harrowdale off the map before this date, because I I have to deal with it. Mm. Um, and they basically went for nobody goes to Harrowdale. It's too far away.
0: Okay. Yeah, and actually, uh, and you touched on some of the things that that we. Um, that we talked about a little bit in our discussion as well. That that you really danced in between the lines of a lot of other people's stories in this. Oh part. my gosh, yeah. <laughs> but but you did it like really well. Like it felt oh, yeah. like yeah. You I mean you were you were in the shared world in in a lot of really interesting ways. So uh, with the great rain going on and the war with shade going on, that that's intersecting with several uh, other novels. And then um, I mean, uh, it felt like um, and I. I can't pull the names off off the top of my head right now because I, I listened to the book like three four weeks ago um but the it felt like there were war wizards that were not like the head war wizard yeah um that were might you know B characters or whatever from from ed's books as well that you'd there brought in
1: were there was one yeah um, well there's so there was Gannerhast and Vainrons yeah um, and there was um Oh, I'm totally blanking on her name, too. The lady. The the, the woman.
0: And that's the, um, I think that's the one I was thinking yeah. of. <laughs> yeah,
1: her. Because I was... I mean, that's the kind of thing... I mean, there's a little bit like, okay, every war wizard you've seen in the stage of Shadowdale, Sealer, and, and the Herald, is not going to appear... Here, because mm-hmm. they're, they're like they're really they're like I asked, I'm like, how many war wizards are there? And I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but it was it's not a lot, right? And mm-hmm. they have two fronts, and then you know they have to protect the palace and Suzail, and and it's kind of like okay, it's going to be spread thin. You're going to have like you know the newbies, and you're going to have people who are like like Ilston, who's young and talented, um, but who probably wouldn't be a full war wizard if. if you know this were happening 120 years ago, right? Um, so, but yeah, then and that was it's interesting too because I at some point someone said, well, why isn't you know L in here and why where's Storm and Mert? And I'm like, no, actually, I, I I've actually looked at where all these people are. They're not in Suzanne, fortunately, because that would be really tricky to have to write. Mm-hmm. It was sort of nerve wracking in the first place t- to pick up Foral and and Ganrahast and.
0: And Alisaire, um, she makes her cameo.
1: That's true, Alisaire. But you notice I didn't make her talk because I was like, I won't be able to match that voice. <laughs>
0: mm, I like Alisaire. I want to see more ghost Alisaire running around.
1: Yeah, I um I know I, I, I may know she might she might be showing up in another book.
0: Oh, yeah, okay. So I only have one more question uh left, so I'm gonna see if Tracy has anything else before I ask it.
1: I can't think of anything. No, uh, it's, I just, um, I just um, I love this. I love the scene with the dresses and they take apart the silk dresses. How did you oh, think of that? So I, I saw, um, man, I don't know where I saw it, but I, so I would actually seen, uh, I was trying to think of something for them to do, right? Because this is another thing that, that, that while there's room in Cormier for women to be fighters and things, when you're getting into like the nobility, um, Again, it's about appearances. So you you don't those those noble girls have nothing to do. And when I looked into sieges, because I'm like, okay, well, what's got to happen here? And it was interesting because it's kind of like once you've kind of secured everything, it's a lot of waiting. Like I read a lot of things where where people were talking about like, and then we played cards for like mm. 18 hours because they were late. Because there's nothing you can do, right? There's there's not really any more prepared you can be past a certain point. And I'm thinking like. You know, you have all these other girls who are or women who are rager's age and who are you know, you know, kind of twiddling their thumbs because their parents are like, no, you are not marching out. Um, like, what can they do? And and I I was kind of looking for different ideas, and I found this thing about um, uh, like ancient Mongolia. They they would wear these silk shirts, and then if the arrow hits, um, the silk would like kind of hold against the wound so you wouldn't bleed out. Mm. Uh, so I, I, shifted a little and I said that the, the Twig- the Twigans, I don't know how to say that word. I'll be totally honest. Tweegan? Uh, Tweegan? Maybe. That's, it's-
0: that's how I, yeah.
1: All right. Then we'll both say it that way. The tweegans because they're sort of the, the fra- fantasy Mongolians mm-hmm. um, in some sense had done it. And that, which makes sense because the, they, the Tuggan horde attacked Cormier, right? So that might be something that, that Barovus would know, or that Rhaedra would know. And then, you know, we have the, the callback to the, the piles and piles and piles of silk that Bryn bought up uh, being reused and, and giving them something to do, right? Um, which then their parents are like, you're just trying to be scandalous, but you're, you're, it's appreciated anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, Farida's flaming angel power. Yeah. Chosen power or warlock power?
1: Chosen he- power.
0: That's what I thought. We had some conversation yeah. about that. So
1: yeah, that she she I don't know if she says that in the book, but I she covers it by saying, oh no, that's just it's a warlock power. Yeah, it's no, just I, that.
0: I assumed it was a chosen thing, but somebody else yeah. wasn't sure and thought it was a a warlock thing. So that she just you know was maybe scared of and didn't want to use.
1: No, the um the one that's like that is the spell. It's a fourth edition spell called Feast of Souls that she does at the end of the adversary, and then she does it the um in the sewers again. That's only. One where it's like, okay, these stop feeling like well. So it's funny because I was like, well, you know, this when she when he te- when Lorkin teaches her that in the adversary, he tells her like, you know, some spells are, that I can teach you are just basically wizard spell reskinned wizard spells, right? But some are like you can't really deny these are from the hells, and I don't want you to be scared to use it, right? Uh, and then now you know the warlock picks off the the wizard spell list. So
0: do do we have enough stuff right now that we could build Farida in fifth edition?
1: So actually, um. Someone uh, uh, who works for Watsi, Chris Lindsay, built uh, an NPC version of Farida that went up on the Wizards website,
3: mm-hmm.
1: which is pretty cool. There, there's one, <laughs> one kind of funny typo. She accidentally got the Great Club of, uh, I think, like an ogre or something that they had used the same template to build. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that, that carried over. But otherwise, it was pretty cool. Um, and so I gave him a list of the spells that she uses in the book, and he came up with ones that were um, pretty similar. similar. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think you. I think you could. I mean, some some of the things spells. Um, see, I don't know because I play a paladin now, so I don't mess around with that stuff. No <laughs> So um, because I mean, there's a certain amount that you just want the continuity, and technically, I'm still in the pre-fifth edition timeline. Is is my other argument? Like for stuff that's just like eh, it's not compatible. There's not a lot of it, but. Well, we come down to it. I'm still the fourth and, edition. So and like. we
0: can assume that the D and D world is larger than just the spells that are provided now. Like there's Very definitely true. more yeah. spells yeah. out there. We just
1: yeah, that would be kind of a bummer if they're like, no, no more spells ever. Yep, that's but, it. Okay, you've you've destroyed like the raison d'être of every wizard. Mi- mistress,
0: <laughs> Mistress back, and she says, these are the spells. No more research.
1: Like, you guys, I can't trust
0: you guys anymore. <laughs> and, and yet somehow she put, like, wish on the list, because that one's okay. <laughs> 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 so, very good. All right. Any other uh, questions or things that you want to share? Um, Ashes of the Tyrant I, coming out Ashes soon? Ashes
1: of the Tyrant comes out. No, it doesn't come out until uh, <laughs> October, October 20th, which is good, because I'm still writing it. Um, that one takes place and, and, you know, it hasn't gotten any information up because it's, uh, it ties into the next story arc. I think they're kind of holding their cards to their chest until they announce yeah. that, but I the, can tell the you next that. The next one
0: or the next, next one?
1: The next, next one. Cause the Telepool of Elemental Evil got announced already, yeah. right? Um, it's one of those things. It's like, you know about stuff for a certain amount of time. You're kind of like, oh, not everybody knows about that, right? Yeah. Um,
0: you so, can just assume that we no. do and go ahead and talk about it. <laughs> it's, it's just a conversation amongst friends.
1: Oh, well, yeah, totally. The
0: Tome Show listeners totally so, won't say anything.
1: Farida gets in a spaceship and they mm. go spell jamming.
0: That's super cool.
1: No. Uh, they, uh, so, so, so,
0: <laughs> Rich Baker did that, didn't he? Rich Baker went spell jamming. Did
1: he do that in the realms? Yes. Yeah, he did. Yes, yeah. he did.
0: They went to the, 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 one of the, astro, the, the chunks of Salini that's yeah, broken. Yeah, the tears of
1: Salini? Yeah. Yeah, so um, Ash of the Tyrant is sort of a, it's like two stories that kind of Interweave, and the one is centered on Dahl, um, and one is on Farida, and Farida's part takes place in Jared Thymar, um, and I'm like, what can I say about it? Actually, it's really interesting because there is there's been books written um, in, a little bit in Jared Thymar. Uh, the Brotherhood of Griffin story was went there, mm-hmm. um, but I I love um, fleshing out like fantasy cultures, and that that wasn't really the the thrust of those books, right? So that it's, I mean, a lot of it takes place in other places with Dragonborn. Um, so I've, I've kind of been given the go ahead to, by, by Watson and also by Richard, because Richard Lee Byers, who wrote Brotherhood of the Griffin, because I, you know, went to him, I said, I want to do these things. And some of it is going to, it's not going to like invalidate anything he did, but it'll be like, I'm going to say something extra. And he's like, whatever you want to do, he says, whatever you want to do is copacetic. I love that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it's a lot of fun. It's you know, I, I you know this kind of like how do these clans work together and and how do they you know where the tensions lie and um it's it, what do they eat? <laughs> what do they call <laughs> themselves? That was a fun one because like I don't know. It's it, Dragonborn is a terrible name for the Dragonborn in the Forgotten Realms setting um, mm. because they come from this world where dragons enslaved them and they don't like dragons Mm -hmm. and they wouldn't call themselves that but i kind of like the idea and and some people have have pointed out you know it's the same name as this other thing from third edition and that's confusing and it's like well actually i like it because you have these these creatures these people that show up they speak you know they speak draconic and i think that the draconic is going to be a little different because they've been separated for so long and you know, anybody who interacts with them is gonna be like, What are you, right? Well, they kinda look like these dragonborn things. Like it would be reasonable for someone to start saying those are dragonborn, right? Um, but the dragonborn would never call themselves that. Mm-hmm. They just and and so I don't know, in the in the book there's a point where Mahen, you know, Bryn points out, he's like, Why do you call yourselves that if you hate dragons so much? And Mahen says, We don't call ourselves that. We just gave up trying to get you guys to stop
2: it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That sounds like a lot of fun. It's interesting that you're exploring in so much detail uh, a part of the setting that um, was very much sort of a 4th edition-y part of the setting as we're moving into the, the the new edition, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's part of it because the 5th edition ideally takes all the editions and, and kind of puts them into one thing. Um, and, you know, with the the summits you know there were definitely points where i was like this this piece isn't necessarily a problem you know the 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 kind of the negative any negative feedback you have here is is in a, in the execution right like i'm sure there are people who hate dragonborn just for being dragonborn but i think that a lot more of the tension comes from you dropped it on top of unther with this mm-hmm. explanation that i don't totally get and then you know for me when i look at them it it i'm kind of like well they don't interact with anybody really like they don't have good allies. You know, they, they have allies in, in high who's like never available. They just, they're always busy with some, some like other threat. Um, It's a very one way kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, and there's no, you know, there was no chance to kind of give them like an industry, right? Like what are, there's all these sort of hints at trade agreements. Well, what the heck are they trading? Um, they live in a big pyramid, right? Like, how do you how do you deal with like population control in that way? Like, there must have other cities, but there's only the one in the in the um, in the campaign guide, right? Um, I mean, there's like all these things that would I think make them feel and fit better in the realm. So that was sort of my that's sort of my goal with this book is like, how do you make the Dragonborn feel realmsy and fit in a way that is appealing to to realms fans? Because I, I think I've won over some people with Mahen. I've had, I've had people tell me that anyway. Like, I hated Dragonborn, but I love Mahen.
0: Well, I look forward to seeing what you do with it. <laughs> but right now, it's bedtime. So. Okay. <laughs> I know it's almost dinner time for you, but it's bedtime over here on the East Coast
1: well sleep tight
0: yes well thank you for coming on once again we just talked to you like a few weeks ago it feels like
1: you and susan were on yeah which i I finally got to listen to susan sounds so smart (laughs)
0: we we only allow on the best of guests so we we try to make everybody uh, be the absolute smartest people we can find
1: well, I'm sorry. I didn't. <laughs> no. I did thought I was pretty good for having taken migraine medication and having burnt half my hand
0: off before yeah, that. Yeah, I thought so. so. Like like, mom- <laughs> like moments before that. Yeah, absolutely. You were After great. Which I
1: looked at it and I was like, oh my God, this really, I probably should have told them to wait a second. <laughs> it's okay. I can work. I can type now.
0: Excellent. Good. Well, it's been great talking to you again. I'm sure we'll talk to you again uh, between now and, I don't know, what, Gen Con, when we- I'm sure we'll see you there. Yeah. So. All right. Thank you.
1: And that's the end of this episode of the Tom Show Book Club.
0: We want to say thank you to our guest Eric Impaquette. Eric, where can people find you on the interwebs? The best place to find me would be on Twitter on, at well twittercom m p a q. That's Eric with a C. Eric Impack. C- yep. And Jeff Wynn.
2: Uh, listen to the Appendix N podcast Every month we will read a
0: book and talk about it Kind of like this show, but we talk about old books Old books, old books from the Appendix N And then when you're done with all of those You can do the new appendix from the 5th the edition DMG
2: Yes, and in about 5 or 10 years When I'm, when I'm done with all the books <laughs> in the Appendix
0: N. I look forward to it, it's been really good I, I like how in-depth uh, and sort of analytical you get with those discussions Thank you Send, send fan letters too. Yeah. Uh, and. Kristen Belmar. Did I say it right? You
3: did. You did. Yes.
0: <laughs> I'm actually not really much of a web presence. She does not exist on the internet. You cannot find her. Except for here. <laughs> yes, this
3: would be my first time.
0: We win. Woo! Woo! <laughs> We also want to thank Noble Knight Games for supporting the show and listeners like you for using our affiliate links at dndclassics.com and Amazon.
1: And if you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call our biz line at 919-biztome, that's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E.
0: And you can find show notes and other great Tome Show shows like the Appendix N podcast over at thetomeshow.com. That is our thoughts on Fire and the Blood. We'll be back next month reading Oath of Fealty by Elizabeth Moon. Until then, keep turning the page, Tomites.
1: I'm on the wall.